I want to speak to you today about Gethsemane and about our Lord Jesus uh, falling to the ground and praying. And we find that uh, three times the Lord is reported as having prayed. And why is it worth reflecting on that? Well, uh, because of the fact itself that he prayed, that he prayed. If there was uh, anyone who you would feel had no need to pray, it would be the incarnation of the almighty God. But he prayed. Prayer is impotence grasping at omnipotence. And here is Christ praying. Christ, the reality of the man Christ Jesus reaching out towards omnipotence. His prayer is the single greatest indicator of his own sense of dependence. His own independent human conviction that with his limited created resources, he simply couldn't handle the situation that was emerging before him. And I think we must drive it, ram it home to the depths of our consciousness that being dependent is not a sign of sinfulness. It's a sign of createdness. It's a sign of humanness. And it's a reminder to us that if he felt he couldn't bear this load, he couldn't carry this burden, he couldn't climb this mountain, he couldn't ford this river, he couldn't overcome this trial, except in strong cryings and tears, which he offered to God, then how before God can we face a Sunday? Can we face any day, any time of worship, any task that God has given to us and say to God, Father, it's okay. I can manage this. I can cope with this. I can handle it. And never come to God with a crushing sense of our own sense of dependence, of our own impotence. Here is Christ saying, and saying in the most eloquent, fashionable, possible way, that there's no way in my naked, in my unaided humanity, that I can carry the cross, that I can endure the nails, the mockery, the spear thrust. You are abandoning me, that I can finish the work, that I can bear the load, that I can emerge from this trial without you. And that's why we have a praying Christ. He's the incarnate son of God. He's the word who was in the beginning with God, who made everything and sustains everything. He's the wisdom. He's the enfleshment of God, of all the ability of God. But he is praying. And it does, does it not say to us that no matter what our position is how long we've been Christians, our eminence, our charismata, our gifts, the length and depth of our Christian experience. There's no way you and I can emerge into a situation where we are spiritually independent. There's no way we can face any day 
without prayer. Carry any load without prayer. Climb any mountain without prayer. I don't mean that we develop a sense of prayer like the monks or the nuns. We have a certain time early in the morning, then they say prayers. This Christian mysticism where prayer is an end in itself, I'm not referring to that. But you can only survive, I'm saying, in the awareness of your own weakness, that every load is too big and every obligation and every challenge is too big. And every burden, every temptation is too big. Every, every privilege is too big. And here is Christ and he never failed and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he had the most marvelous gifts, superhuman gifts on a human level. He had more right than any other creature to pretend to being independent of God. And yet here he is on the ground and he's praying, felt impotence, grasping at omnipotence. And the earnestness with which he prayed, he throws himself to the ground. And he's so earnest, I mustn't stop praying. I can't stop now. I've always prayed, every day I've prayed, and now I must go to my father, especially now. I've got to go to my father. I must. This is looming up ahead of me. And in that agony of intense commitment, his perspiration is like drops of blood. So he prayed. And then the other thing that I want us to see here was that it was not God's will to hear the Lord's prayer, the cup did not pass. And part of what I've got is a marvelous paradox, the Messiah praying for what God did not intend to give, praying earnestly for what God did not intend to give. Now, sometimes we get into terrible trouble in our own souls because God doesn't give what we're asking for. He's not hearing these petitions. And uh, the apostle went through the same experience, didn't he? He had a thorn in the flesh, some trial, some pain, and it was limiting his ability to do some things, to travel to write, to move. And so he has sessions of prayer. And he beseeches the Lord, take take this cup from me. He describes all the advantages that would be his if God would only take this thorn away. And the first time God tells him nothing at all. He's not going to take that thorn away. And Paul doesn't respond and say, Amen, all right. He doesn't. He three times prays that the thorn in the flesh could be removed. I'm not going to say he's an unspiritual man, that he ought to have known that the thorn was God's will for him. There's no hint of God disapproving of him praying and praying again and again. We have the creature expressing his creatureliness 
his unknownness about the future and the facts that he does have now constrain him to bring them to God. And he's longing to escape from what he fears is God's will and what he hopes will not be God's will. And in the Passion, he prays that it may be different from what he dreads. Now, you will say, the moment we know something to be God's will, it's easy. Well, for some of you, it may be. But the whole glory of Gethsemane was that God's will was not easy. It was not easy even for the Lord himself, even for him. Any more than the thorn in the flesh was easy for the greatest Christian the world has seen, the, the Apostle Paul. And it's no use you saying, come on, Paul, it's God's will. It was still sore. And there are many times in our lives when a thing is God's will, but it hurts. It hurts real bad. And we shrink from it and we cry and we ask for deliverance from it. And so today I don't feel so bad when I look at this. And when I find God's will difficult for me to bear. I don't react critically when I find God's poor struggling people who are in my congregation and they're saying, oh, brother, this is so hard. Because it is hard. And God's will is sometimes hard for us. It was hard for Christ. And I'm not surprised when those who have a, the birth that's a stillbirth or the birth of a handicapped child or they have an incurable illness and they're young and they plead with God to change things. Lord, bend the universe. Lord, make things different. Christ in this agony and he's crying and he's probing and he's saying, Father, is there any possibility of a different cup? Can you give me a different cup? I need it very badly. And that's why he throws himself on the ground. He's the archetypal man. He's the pioneer, the author, the finisher of our faith. And he doesn't find the will of God easy. And he doesn't find automatic comfort from knowing that God is working all things, including this thing. He doesn't take it in his stride. But then, you see, he prays submissively. But not my will. But thine be done. He has learned through the 30 years of following his God and doing God's will, he has learned contentment. And contentment and Christ's godliness together are great gain. And he submits. He doesn't pretend. Um, well, this is what I wanted all along. But there was an acknowledgement of his pain. 
and uh, confession of the hurt. And his telling his father, Father, you know, what you brought into my life hurts me so much. But Father, it's from you. And you love me, I know that. And you will work all things together for my good. And Paul was told, my grace is sufficient for you. And his grace was sufficient for Jesus on Golgotha. And his grace is sufficient for us as we gather here in prayer. And we're not to pretend, ah, this is what I wanted all along. This is how I would love things to be if I could arrange them. And when I hear a voice saying to me, you can't be right with God because you're not accepting God's will. I, I don't, I don't, I reject that. Um, I don't for a single moment <clears throat> believe that Christ enjoyed Calvary. It was pain. But he said, not my will, but thine be done. And that is the foundation for the Christian life. That is what we learn um, through the seasons of a living, growing relationship with our Lord and Savior. We learn. We learn submission. We learn to drink the cup. And we learn to go with every circumstance to go to our Heavenly Father and tell him exactly what our needs are and how we are convinced that the best thing in our lives is to receive God's will and to learn contentment with that will.